Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. When we look at this, it speaks of God's faithfulness and provision. Really, verses 2 through 9, and, and let's read them again. And it, it just speaks of God's faithfulness and his provision for the children of Israel during the wilderness of their 40 years. And he, he gives them this accountability. He tells them of his faithfulness. And then he tells them the things that are going to happen again. And I, and I love chapter 29 and chapter 30 because we're going to see chapter 29 really just showing them again that they are going to go into captivity. And chapter 30 is going to be, we're going to see God restoring his people. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series into chapter 29 and 30 of the book of Deuteronomy. God reminds the nation of Israel of his provisions, protection, and guidance from the bondage they experienced in the land of Egypt and their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Following this reminder, he then gives them a prophetic warning concerning their future. They were told that they would be stubborn and unfaithful, which ultimately would cause the Lord to allow them to be taken into captivity. His word says he chastens those he loves, and because of his mercy and grace, he always tells them he will restore them. Just as the Israelites, we too were once captive to our sin, but God restored us through his Son, Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message. Let's look at Deuteronomy. We're going to be looking at chapter 29 and 30 tonight. Last week, actually it wasn't last week, it was the week before last, we looked at chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. And this is getting toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And if you recall, chapter 28 was a very prophetic chapter because God was speaking to the children of Israel on the, the blessings of obedience and also the curses of disobedience. And we see the Lord prophesying and, and, and show, foretelling in advance what the children of Israel didn't know about their own hearts at the time. And he was telling them things that were going to occur, things that were going to happen. And these things are history to us now. But when Moses first gave this to them, as they were getting ready to cross over from the east side of the Jordan and then cross that Jordan River going into the promised land, what we call the land of Canaan or the land of Israel today, and, and then to defeat uh, Jericho, and, and then on to Ai. But before they went over, you know, Moses is, is sharing these things with them. And, and, you know, the Lord is so good about making us accountable. He's so good about that. He tells us in advance. And he knows what's coming. We don't know what's coming. Aren't you glad that you don't know what's coming? I'm so glad that I don't know that that freight train is coming. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I don't know certain things are coming and he knows our hearts, and he knew the children of Israel's heart, and he knew they were bent on rebellion. He proved them in the desert for 40 years, and they were still rebellious. And by the way, they're no different than you and I. 
If you think to yourself, well, if it would have been the the Chinese people who God led out of Egypt, if it would have been the Germans, if it would have been the Italians, no offense, but maybe they would have been better. But, you know, if it was any other people group, you know, coming out out of Egypt, would they have been any better? Given chance or giving time and opportunity, we would all discover that we're in the same boat again and again and again. And so God knows, and he tells them in advance. He tells them that they're going to go into captivity because, again, he knows their hearts. And chapter 28 was all about that, God telling them, Cursed are you if you disobey my word, and you are going to go into captivity. And he tells them what's going to come and the difficulty that they were going to go through, how they would literally have to eat the fruit of their own bodies, of their sons and their daughters who were newly born in order to survive the siege in some of these sieges and before they would go into captivity. And finally, in chapter 29, really beginning in verse 2, if you look at uh, verse 1, Verse 1 of chapter 29 really belongs as chapter 69 of the previous chapter. It really belongs there. Because uh, these are the words after him telling them all the things that were going to befall them and how they would go into captivity. And it says, these are the words, verse 1, of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he had made with them in Horeb. So there's two different covenants here. God made a covenant with them when they first came out of Israel, or came out of Egypt, excuse me, and now before they go into the promised land, he is basically adding on to those things and recapitulating some of these things to warn them and to show them these things. So let's look at, uh, let's read chapter 29 in its entirety, and we're going to go back and pick away at it. It says, verse 2, Now Moses... And this is Moses' fourth address. In fact, tonight we're going to read the entire fourth address, hopefully, and which is chapter 29 and chapter 30. And then chapters 31 through 34 will be the transition from Moses to Joshua. And so we'll see that in the coming weeks, uh, just that transition. But let's just look at chapter 2, or verse 2 of chapter 29. It says, Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you come to this place, Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle. And we conquered them. And so Moses here is is, uh, retelling them past history. Because this has already taken place in this very location. Now they're back at that location after 40 years. So he says, We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders, 
and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you, and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may be no... um, So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose hearts, whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and to serve the gods of these nations and that they may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I I shall have peace even though I know the dictates, or I'm sorry, even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven, and the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues and that land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on it, and this is what they'll say, the whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and Admah and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? And then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and they served other gods. They worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that they had not, that had not been given to them. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring it on every bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation, and cast them into another land, as it is this day. And the chapter ends, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so, pretty sobering again. And the book of Deuteronomy is a book of remembrance, a lot of repetition, and it's necessary because they needed to hear it, just as we do. If we look, going back to verse 2 here, when we look at this, it speaks of God's faithfulness and provision. Really, verses 2 through 9, and, and let's read them again. And it, it just speaks of God's faithfulness and his provision for the children of Israel during the wilderness of their 40 years. And he, he gives them this accountability. He tells them of his faithfulness, and then he tells them 
the things that are going to happen again. And I, and I love chapter 29 and chapter 30 because we're going to see chapter 29 really just showing them again that they are going to go into captivity. And chapter 30 is going to be, we're going to see God restoring his people. Do you see the difference? So it's like you're going into captivity, but guess what? I'm not done with you. I'm going to bring you out of your land or out of the places that I've driven you, and I'm going to bring you back to your land. I mean, that, that is wonderful salvation, at least in the, in the national sense. So we look at verse 28. It says, Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all the servants, the great trials, that which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And that may seem very hard for us to understand, because you'd think that the Lord would be the one who is giving illumination, and certainly he is. But one thing that's true about the human heart is it's always bent on rebellion. The human heart is always bent on disobedience. If we don't have the nature of God in us, the very nature of Jesus Christ, there is nothing left but rebellion and disobedience. And it just takes time for it to meet itself out and to express itself. But Make no mistake, it will end in tragedy. It always has and it always will. And because of the rebellion and the disobedience, they were dull to their understanding of these things. It's not that God wasn't willing to give. He knew what they were up to. He knew their heart. And to me, that's great comfort to know that God knows my heart. And he knows when I'm ready to receive something. It's almost like, it's almost not even fair, really. But that's the wonderful omnipotence of God and the omniscience of God. And I don't want to wrestle against that. I want to trust him, and I want to be open as much as possible. In Romans chapter 11, you know, speaking of the hardness of heart, because really that's what verse 4 is. Verse 4 again, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, we read about this in Romans 11, verse 8. It says, Just as it is written, Paul would say to the Romans, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Paul tells them that. There's just this, this, this rebellion in the heart, and God is not going to play games with a rebellious heart. He's going to work with the rebellious heart, but he's not going to play games with it. He's not going to... Cast his pearls when your heart is not in a place to receive it. He's going to speak to you. He's always speaking, actually, but he knows when the right time is that we're gonna, that opening is in our heart and it will bear good fruit. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, And he said, Go and tell this people. God is telling Isaiah, Go and tell this people, the Jews, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their eyes shut, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And again, is it because God is cruel? No, it's because he knows the heart of the people he's dealing with. And God is going to say, you know what? There's going to come a time. But you're playing games, Israel. You're playing games. And have you ever played games with God? There are people who play games with God today. They'll claim, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm one of his. But their hearts are far from him. He says, why do people do that? Why do people come to me with empty worship and tell me that they love me and they love me and yet they don't do the things that I do? 
It's one of the wonderful hallmarks of a Christian's life is one that is given over completely to obedience to God, to love and adoration, to obeying him regardless of how we feel. In Isaiah chapter 29, it says, Pause and wonder, blind yourselves, and be blind. And again, speaking of Israel, they are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep. Their, their hearts were so bent on it, God's giving them the, the time to, to, to lay down and be, and be slumbering. He's closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is illiterate, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And then the book is delivered to the one who is illiterate, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I am not, Ill, I am not literate. Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. Therefore, behold, I will begin to do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. And this is no different for the Old Testament believers, for the New Testament as well wasn't very uncommon for us to hear things like this in the Gospel of Mark. It says, when Jesus went out into the boat to them, remember that one night when Jesus was up on top of, uh, it could have been Mount Arbel. I, I think that it might have been, because in Mount Arbel that we visit when we go to Israel, you can see all the Galilee up in that area. Perhaps he was up there, and remember his disciples, he had sent them to go um, across. And I forget which side of the lake he was on, actually, but he was up on a mountain. It could have been on the west or the east side. But he's seeing them go across, and he tells them to go across, and it takes them, the wind is contrary, and in the fourth watch of the night, he comes out onto them on the water, and they thought it was a ghost, right? And so finally, he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Because right before this miracle of Jesus walking on the water, he had fed the 5,000, he had fed the the thousands of people with the loaves and the fish. And they were still a hard-hearted. They still didn't understand. And, and when, when our hearts are that way, we do, we miss out on so much. We miss out on so much. Back in verse 5 here in 29, it says, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness, Moses saying this to them, Your clothes have not worn out and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. Think of that, 40 years. That's some pretty good leather. God is always faithful in, in providing for his children. Their sandals, their clothes didn't wear out. Verse 6, you have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. They had manna, and they had water from the rock. They didn't have the niceties of, of bread and wine. That you may know that I am the Lord your God. And why is that such a big deal? You try feeding a couple million people out in the desert with nothing. Something they've never heard before. In a desert is what? Sand. There's no water in the desert. Is there bread in the desert? No, there's nothing in the desert. Have they heard about manna up to the point where they, God introduced it to them? No, they hadn't heard anything. It's like he brought something out of nothing. Boy, that doesn't sound like God, does it? Can he bring something out of nothing? When there's nothing, can he bring something forth? Of course, he did it in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without was, was void and without form, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Easy for God to bring things out of nothing 
and make something. Verse 7, he says, And when you came to this place, initially, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, they came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. And we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. And we saw that in the early on in the book of Deuteronomy, how God had given them victory over those nations. From your perspective, looking up at me over here on the east side of the Jordan River, all those nations, and that's where the tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that's where they settled. He said, verse 9, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them. Notice, it's not just, just don't keep the words, but do them. Do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. See, there's something wonderful when we do the word of God. It's not just enough to hear it. Hearing, we can deceive ourselves and think that we're doing the will of God or doing God's work when we're hearing, but that's only half of it. The other half is actually putting feet to the word and getting out there and doing it, letting it do the work in our own hearts. If you're reading the Bible and you're not getting anything, ask yourself, am I really open to receive what it's telling me? Or am I, or am I practicing and, and writing down verses for somebody else who's in sin? <laughs> or am I looking at it saying, Lord, this is for me too. Certainly it may be for somebody else as well, but Lord, it's for me first. But he said, do this, that you may prosper in all that you do. And that's all God's heart. He wants to prosper you. Isn't it wonderful to... To, to allow God to prosper you, and he can prosper you when your heart is single toward him, when your heart is bent on obeying him and simply trusting him for what he says. In verse 10, he says, All of you stand by today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp and the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into the covenant which the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you, just as he has spoken to you, and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Notice verse 14, I make this covenant and this oath, not with just you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not with us here today. So this is going to be a a covenant that's not just going to be for them. It's going to be written, of course, and it's going to be shared and perpetuated throughout all all of time. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations, their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that they may not be so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may be among you a root-bearing bitterness or wormwood. And you know, it's interesting, certainly God speaking to them, but also to us today. Where's your heart? Is it, is it bitter? Do you have a root that's bearing in your heart that, that is just bringing forth bitterness? Are you just angry about things? Are you just an angry young man? Are you an angry young woman? Are you angry about things that had happened to you? That there may not be among you a root-bearing bitterness or wormwood. The, The word is literally a plant that is poisonous. It's a poisonous plant. You know, sometimes our mouths, the things that come out of our mouths, our actions, everything can be like poison. Your words can be life or they can be death. And we have to make a decision today. Am I going to allow my mouth to be seasoned with salt? Am I going to allow my life to be permeated by the word of God so that 
what's, what God has worked in with, into me is going to work itself out? Or am I just going to be a poisonous plant? And there are a lot of Christians who are still bearing some poisonous plants. And it's time to get out the weed killer <laughs> and let the word of God root out those things and no longer be bitter and no longer be having a, a mouth and a heart that's just poisoned. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.